Okay, so last time we had taken the message called Righteous, Righteous Way. Okay, I remember we closed that last time's message by showing you a video of a glass bridge. <laughs> okay, you remember that? And you see the challenge that people had walking on a glass bridge? Even though the bridge has been tested and cars have gone on that and it has been tested with a sledgehammer, but yet people were not able to walk on it. Why? Because... They don't, they don't believe that the bridge is strong, right? So that's how the righteousness that Christ has purchased for us is. You can actually walk on it. That means you are now free from condemnation in this world of condemnation. It's interesting because our sins is what makes us liable to be condemned and judgment. But the moment we have now not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus as a gift, Man, you can walk on it. I mean, you can do the same things that Jesus did. Because it's not your righteousness. It has been given to you as a gift. Amen? Make sense? But now, it's easier said than done, right? Because your mind is still kind of, I'm going to fall. I'm subject to judgment. It's not, I don't think it will work. So, what you believe affects your walk. It's amazing. It should never be like that, right? I mean, your walk, why should your walk be affected by what you believe? But you check it. I mean, the way you walk is totally dependent on the way you believe. Like, for example, if you right now don't believe that this foundation is strong, you'll be, immediately you'll hold the chair. Correct? I mean, you're like, constantly. Or, or, if, you, or if you get up and you, you feel that this ceiling fan is going to fall, you'll walk like this, Right? Your, what you believe affects your walk. Same as, as your walk as a believer. What you believe affects your walk. But it's not fair. But, but, they have, but the reality is it does. Like for example, they'd be like, why is one person walking in so much health but has a lot of money? Because in the area of finances, their walk is confident based on the work of Jesus Christ. See, they don't have any anxiety about their finances. But they don't believe that God is a God who heals us. So they attract all the judgments that the enemy brings and they receive it gladly. But they don't, they don't say, I, I want to be saved. No, they are fearful of the judgments happening to you because now they don't believe the finished work of Jesus with respect to their health. But they very well believe the finished work of Jesus with respect to prosperity. Because at the cross, Jesus became poor. And they believe that we, through his poverty, became rich. And they believe that. So they receive all the wealth in the world. And they have no problem. There's another person who does not believe in health, does not believe in prosperity, but they definitely believe that Jesus saves them from hell. So they are, no con they are never afraid of dying. Because they know, I know whether I, die, I am poor in this world and I suffer all this, but I know when I die, I will go to heaven. So they are confident of their eternity because they are confident in the finished work of Jesus for their eternity. It's very weird. But isn't this the same price and this one sacrifice that was sufficient for all three? For your eternity, for your health, for your prosperity, for every area of your life? But the, what you have received from the finished work of Jesus determines what you appropriate for your life here on the earth. 
interesting. Your belief affects your walk. And, and that, think about it. That, that pretty much, I mean, in the areas like Annie was sharing, it's like golden pipes come from God, you know? But those pipes get constrained by the areas that you're most anxious about. In the areas that you're most anxious about is generally the areas that you struggle the most. I've seen that. My biggest breakthroughs have come from areas that I've never even thought about. <laughs> like, you know, somebody said, God likes to surprise you, right? But that's because in that area, you never meditated hard enough. <laughs> so it appeared as a surprise to you because you never thought about it in the first place. Give no thought, Jesus says. Don't take any thought concerning this. That means he says, just be ready for being surprised delightfully by your Father in heaven. Just start practicing that. Maybe start practicing. You're like in some area that you have so much worry about, stop thinking about it. Go to sleep. <laughs> like you're worried about your spouse, go to sleep. Or you're worried, you know, you're worried about a job. Don't even think about it. Forget about it. You know, that's not a very spiritual way of saying, but I'm saying it's almost like, I, I don't care. I'm going to cast the cares on Jesus. I'm going to think about it. Why, why, why should I think about it? So then just start walking on this foundation of righteousness that Jesus has paid the price. Amen? Amen. Okay. The title of the message today is Peace, Your Inheritance, Purchased by the Blood. Peace, Your Inheritance, Purchased by the Blood. Powerful, powerful message. Powerful message. But I hope we'll cover uh, everything, but we'll try, to, we'll try to hit the high points and I hope you can get the foundation of it, right? Uh, it may not be a type where we'll really preach about it, but let's believe that you get, you understand it because this foundation of peace is so critical. Okay, did you all get the foundation of that you're righteous righteously? Do you believe that now you're righteous righteously? Right? You're not righteous. Hey, you know, Jerry, don't worry, man. You're just righteous. I know. But nobody's paid the price for it. Doesn't make sense. Like, for example, let me give you an example. And then we'll, uh, we'll start off this message with that. Suppose you owe 250000 on your house as a mortgage. Right? So, George owes. I hope you owe less than that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's hope that you owe 250000 on your house as a mortgage to the bank. So I come to you and say, George, don't worry about the mortgage. Stop paying it. Your, the mortgage is all paid up. Amen, Amen brother, right? <laughs> so, so, so what should happen? So I, so what should be his question to me? Okay. <laughs> Very good. No, but, but let me ask you the question. Is it good news? That you don't have to pay the mortgage. Yes. Is it good news? When will it really become good news for him? When he gets the title. <laughs> okay. But if I tell you, George, don't pay your mortgage from this month onwards. Don't worry about it. So that's good news. Because mortgage is a big component of his monthly payment. Okay. But his question to me will be what? No, stop paying from this month onwards. No, so what's your question? Ah, good. See, the, the question is not that I should stop paying. The question is who then will pay? Very important. 
See, behind God's righteousness to you, the question is, who then paid for that? See, if you said, no, no, God is a loving God. Don't pay. Doesn't work. Because God is also a just God. But, but, but I'm, I'm being a very good friend to him by telling him, I brought a good news to him. Don't pay your mortgage. Is that good news? It is good news as long as it's true and I paid for it. <laughs> okay, what if I say, George, don't worry, I found a solution to pay, solve your mortgage problem. You know what? We will bomb the bank. <laughs> so, is that a solution? I mean, I didn't say whether it's a just solution, right? Is it a solution? Is it a solution? Just take care of the mortgage part. <laughs> the guy to whom it is owed. Just destroy him, correct? Correct. But then is it a just part? Because who is now shortchanged? The bank is shortchanged. See, righteousness needs to be just. The one who owes it and the one to whom it is received. Right? Both. So God has to be satisfied and the payment has to be made to him because somebody broke the law. So somebody has to pay the price. Therefore, when God make, declares you righteous, it's not because he's just, he's nice, he's a nice, loving God. No. He had to send his son to be a righteous man but pay the price for your unrighteousness. Therefore, your righteousness has been bought at a price. Amen. Now you can enjoy the good news. Right? So is your peace. Now, why? Okay, now you need to understand this very powerful truth. Jesus started talking about peace very powerfully towards the end of his ministry. Because he could not speak to it before the ministry, though many people reached out to him and he said, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Correct? But remember that the peace was not purchased. It was like a credit card. that had, He had paid... It's like a visa card. They, they were getting the benefits of the healing when they met Jesus, but the price had nobody paid. Why is sickness and disease and death and poverty in the world? Why is that sickness, disease, death in the world? It is the effect of the fulfillment of the... Uh, of what? Judgments because of sin. Now, where does this originate? These sicknesses, these judgments, poverty, lack, relationship, all the issues that you have seen. What is it? Where does it originate? Sin didn't produce it, correct? Sin, sin is nothing. Sin is just an action, correct? I mean, but it is what? Who's, where did this come from? Where did it come from? It came from when, like for example, why is a man in prison? Correct. Suppose in that land there was no law to put a man into prison. Will there be a problem? No. Correct. So, so what caused the man to go into prison? The law. the law. You got it? See, the law is the cause for the judgments. You agree? Suppose there is no law, will there be any judgments? No. As long as there is law, there is judgments. So when God instituted the law, 
immediately judgment started flowing out of the law. Because the, the same law that will bless will also curse. You got it? Got it. So all your sickness, disease and everything that demon possession, everything that Jesus faced in the ministry of people was all because of judgments that were coming on them as a result of whom? Because they were lawless, correct? They were breaking the law. They broke the law or their fathers broke the law. or their, So we know ultimately Adam broke the law. So all these judgments started coming to them. So Jesus comes ahead on the scene and tells them, your faith in me has saved you. So faith in me has saved you. So, so are you trying to say, Jesus, that now I don't have to bear these judgments? Yes. So that's exactly what happened. When Jesus touched the leper, what's happened actually? Remember, isn't the leper just to receive his leprosy? Let me ask you a question. Is he just to receive the, receive the leprosy? What say you? Yes. Yes, because the judgments of the law are the ones that put the leprosy on him. You see, man is made perfect. Without the law, there would not be judgments. Don't sin again. Don't sin again. So, because the, the law, when you when you break the law, you 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 receive the judgments. So here is a case. So when when Jesus then says, "Be healed," your faith has saved you. What's happening? Is Jesus now breaking the law by releasing a man from prison? Think. Is Jesus now being unjust by healing a person because the the man is suffering the consequences of his own? Judgments, isn't it? Now, let me ask you a question. If George, you walk to Denton County Prison and free people, who's breaking the law? You are breaking the law. Isn't it? Think about it. Is he not breaking the law? Right? Nobody is saying, but I am just having, <laughs> you know, I have compassion on the people who are in prison. You have compassion on people who are in the prison? Yes, but they need to finish the sentence. sentence. So when Jesus was healing the sick, what was he doing? You know, and God, Jesus will never break the law. Correct. What he's telling is, I will take the sentence, you go free, put it on me. You go free, put it on me. You go free, put it on me. So when he casts out the demon, he's telling, you go free, I will suffer that. So he is taking it on, taking it with the intention to do what? With the intention to finish paying the sentence while you enjoy the good life. Oh, no, 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 Anil, brother Anil, that is not how it works. He is God. He can do anything. You know, who is more law-abiding? The lawgiver or the one to whom the law has been given? The lawgiver is more law-abiding, isn't it? The one who gives the law is the one who has to be more abiding because he knows the law. At least I can say, I do not know the law. But how can you say of the lawgiver that he doesn't know the law? How does he know that? Right? So, so, so when Jesus was not able to break the law 
by having compassion on it. See, that was the classic position that the Pharisees were trying to put Jesus in when, remember, they brought an adulterous woman at the feet of Jesus and said, what do you do? What, what could Jesus do? See, if Jesus sets the adulterous woman go, what happens? He is breaking the law. If he punishes the adulterous woman, then what happens? He is not a compassionate God. So Bobby, what do you do? What, 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 what would Jesus do? Is here is an adulterous woman. If Jesus condemns her, he is not being compassionate. If he sets her free, he is breaking the law. What should Jesus do? But that is all the problem of the woman. <laughs> What, what do you think she, he should do? Take the condemnation on himself. So he said, he'll set her free. Now who has to finish the sentence? Jesus had to pay the price of that sinful woman one day at the cross. Amen? So he had to be, he had to take punishment. He had to pay the price. So now what happened at the cross is that transaction has been... So at the cross, the sentence was paid in full or not? Yes. yes. Has it been finished or not? Yes. yes, it has been finished. That means your sentence has finished. So is Jesus free? Or is he still in prison paying the price? Is he free? Now how do you know that Jesus has finished paying the price? By honest, by his own words, mm -hmm. correct? He said it is finished. But that is good for a man to say that it is finished. But who has to say whether it is finished? Like for example, if you are if you are in the prison, if you are in the prison, and you say to the guy outside, "Hello, hello, hello! I have finished. This is 365 day of my imprisonment. I am done." Is that enough? The judge has to agree. And what is the proof that he is finished paying the price? What will be the evidence that he is finished paying the price? When he is let, let out. So when Jesus was resurrected, was the sign to everyone that the price was fully paid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was the sign. See, it was, Jesus did, did not Jesus finish paying the price on the cross when he said it is finished? Correct. But he, was he still on the cross? Yes. When did the world know that the price was fully paid? At the resurrection. But when was the price actually paid? On the cross. See, beautiful. Beautiful. Why is it important for you to know that the price has been fully paid? Remember when the enemy comes to tell you to pay the price yourself, you have to remind that the price has been fully paid. The price has been fully paid. Jerry, the price has been fully paid. Now how does he try to exact the price from you? 
when he makes you sick after you are born again, what is he trying to do? You are trying to pay the... Remember sickness is judgment. Now you are trying to pay the judgment on something that has already been paid. Now, when he comes to accuse you of sin, is he being a false witness? Yes. Why? Paid. And plus, right now you are righteous. Now you, God doesn't consider you with sin at all. Yeah. No, let's, I want you to go to Jeremiah, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Now listen to this. Okay, I'm skipping some <coughs> sequence, but I think, I think you all are getting there. I know it's not going to be a preaching session, but I want you to understand the basis for your peace. Agree? Yeah. Okay? It's not like, okay, Jesus, heal me, heal me. Why are you asking Jesus to heal you right now? Make sense? See, many of your prayers... Doesn't make, it's not New Testament prayers. Show me one passage in the New Testament where the apostles asked the Lord to heal. <laughs> Don't! Because they declare. See, because now you're declaring. Because now you have the right. Because there is not... You pray when it has not happened. You declare what is your right. You got it? Now, this, uh, you getting this? Getting this? Yeah. This basis of your condemnation? See, all judgments, it happens in terms of lack of peace, health, poverty, everything in your life are judgments against you. Those had valid basis before you accepted Jesus Christ. But once you accepted Jesus Christ, you have accepted the transaction that Jesus offered you. When, so when Jesus offered you the transaction that I will take your judgments and you take my peace and you said yes I believe it Jesus said your faith has made you well you see your faith in my no your faith in my willingness to take it has set you free you see your faith has set you free means you have received this exchange. Because now the monkey is on my head, not yours. <laughs> now the judgment is on my head, but yours. But if you say at that point of time, I don't. So what, what happens? So you have to bear your own judgment. Like that, what it, so Jesus goes to Nazareth, correct? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach this good news. What good news? That a righteous man will one day come on the earth who will take the judgments on behalf of unrighteous men. Is, does this meet God's demand for justice? Yes, because someone else is paying for somebody else. So it meets the standard for justice. But the someone who is going to pay the price is himself not guilty of the same crime. <laughs> I mean, there's no point in telling a murderer, I murdered 10 people, man. What's the problem? Put that sentence on me also. <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, can you go, like, a murderer goes to another murderer and says, how many did you kill? I killed one. Yeah, I killed 21. Put his sentence on me. Does it work? Why? Wait, what's the problem? Why? But 
See, hold it, hold it, hold it. This, this, see, think logically. So my life sentence, okay, the guy's life sentence is 12 years. This guy, he's committed some robbery. His life sentence is 2 years. So he says, what's your problem, man? 12 years, okay. Put two, two more years on my, this one. I will stay here 14 years, set him free. Deal? No deal. Why no deal? Because you are not righteous yourself. Oh, unrighteous man cannot take the right unrighteousness of another man. That is why it was very important that Jesus was born of a virgin. So that there is no unrighteousness in his birth. Plus, he had to remain perfect. Till his baptism on Jordan where he said, he goes to John and says. And John asked him, why are you coming to me? I need to be baptized by you. What did Jesus say? Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. That means he's saying, I am the one who is going to fulfill all righteousness. There was no man who could fulfill righteousness. So God was waiting for a man who is righteous, who can pay the price for the unrighteous. He kept looking. He couldn't find. In fact, he told Job. In fact, Job complained. Is there not a man who can put a hand on him and a hand on me? He can't. In fact, Isaiah said, God said, God looked and there is no inter- intercessor. There's no man that he can put the sins of everybody on this one man and let that one man suffer. So he said, guess what? Looks like I'll have to do it myself. I will send my son. But actually, this plan was there even from the foundation of the world. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Remember the, yeah, this week I was reading on Genesis chapter 22 about that passage about where Abraham offers Isaac at the altar, right? So when he's about to when he's about to go, right, Isaac asks him a question. He said, I see the wood, I see the fire, I see the sword in your hand. <laughs> Everything is fine. But where is the lamb? Right? God himself will provide. So Abraham says very confidently, God himself will provide the lamb. And that guy is walking in that righteousness, that transaction. And now you are now you are the more you study your grace, the message of the Bible the more you appreciate Abraham. He believed this thing, truth, about this transaction long before. When God showed it to him, he said, do you believe it? Abraham said, I believe it. I believe it. That one man will pay the price. So he's going. So so he said, um, God himself will do it, right? But yet on the top of the mountain, when the lamb doesn't show up, what does he do? He puts Isaac on the altar. See, when you don't believe that the lamb will show up, you will end up paying the price. Right? So, so immediately the voice comes from God. Saints, withhold your hand. See, that's, that's, oh my goodness. If there is one verse that you can redline in the Bible, is withhold your hand. This is the problem of man. Man wants to put his hand in everything. It's so true. Man wants to pay the price. Every religion, every philosophy, it is, I want to put out my hand. You know the sin of Adam and Eve? Read the verse. Go, go, go and read this. Look at Genesis chapter 
Two. See how powerful that passage is. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3. Look at this one. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. Look at it. How do you take? Reached out. Reached out on hand and took. Took it. She, the, you, and G, God, Abraham is also now reaching out his hand and paying the price. Correct? And he said, withhold your hand. Because there's only one hand that can pay the price. Who? Jesus. The hand of the Father on Jesus. That is the only hand. A perfect father on a perfect son can meet the demands of a perfect offering. Just remember this. The perfect father on the hands of a perfect father on the hands on the perfect son can meet the perfect offering. Anything else is defiled offerings. Every other offering is defiled. Every other offering falls short. Every other. So, so the moment he said that, then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw behind him a lamb caught in the thicket. <laughs> so beautiful. So was it before him or behind him? That means what happened? It was already there. Your sacrifice that Jesus paid is behind you, brothers and sisters. Always behind you. It's not something that God has to do in your future. He's already done in your past. You always have to look in the past at the crossing of the Jordan. That Jordan where Jesus crossed, the death. It is in the past. Even for Abraham, the work was in the past. It is not in the future. Isn't that good? That God in his mercy had already thought about the sacrifice before you even sinned. So when God in his mercy was clothing Adam and Eve with the skin of a sacrificed animal and the skin was drenching all over their body with blood, what was happening? Price was already paid. Did the lamb had died when Jesus God clothed Adam and Eve? Right? Or was the lamb going to die? How? Because it's not Huh? Before the foundation of the lamb is killed, how can you skin the lamb? Unless you kill the lamb, how can you get the skin out of the lamb? Right? So the lamb had to be killed before Adam and Eve could be clothed. So for them, was their redemption in the past or in the future? In the past. The question is, when was this lamb killed whose skin God used to clothe Adam and Eve? In the past. When? Yes. Before the foundation of the world. Is that beautiful? 
That lamb was already killed before God had even made a man. Why is it important for you to know that your sacrifice that Jesus paid is in the past and not something that you have to look forward to? Because now you don't have to worry whether God will show up. Why? He's already showed up. The lamb is in your past. The sacrifice is in your past. Okay, let's go to John chapter uh, John chapter 14 verses 25 to 35. Okay, let's read quickly. John chapter 14. Read this. John chapter 14 verses 25 to 27. Okay, John chapter 14 verses 25 to 27. So you can read that. Manor. I'm telling you these things. Now, while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart. And and the peace I, I give you is a gift of the gift the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I'll come back to right. you again. So let's let's read that again. Verse twelve. 12. Peace I live with you. <coughs> Or the word in the Greek is, I bequeath to you, or I give it to you as an inheritance. So when a man is about to die, he normally gives the most valuable position. He calls the people. He doesn't talk about, hey, the soap is, by the way, in the kitchen. You know, he doesn't talk about his soap and his cutlery. You know, sometimes people might talk about the cutlery. I heard people fight over their parents' china. <laughs> but mostly, when, when, when somebody's dying and they decide to give something, what are they decide, most? What are they really talking about? The most valuable thing, correct? Hey, by the way, the house on the ranch, remember Jimmy has it, correct? So here's Jesus about to die, and he tells them, I'm going to leave something with you. Not my loin clothes, or not this, not that, not this, my house in Capernaum, or my beach resort at the Sea of Galilee. No, he's talking about peace, I live you. Why? Because this peace was very unique to Jesus. So Jesus had peace with whom? With God. With God. So he had total peace with God. That means Jesus had what? Did not, did not have what with God? Okay. Let me rephrase the question. Yes. Yes. So let me rephrase the question. Jesus had peace with God. Yes, no? Yes. That means Jesus had... What did Jesus not have with God? Judgments. Jesus had no judgments or no fear of judgments with his father. So he could walk to the father at any point of time and ask whatever he wants. What does the father do? Father gives it to you. Now, where does Jesus get the confidence to ask whatever from the father? Why does he have the peace? He has no judgments. Why does he have no judgments? Okay, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, Jerry, so, have you had a speeding ticket any time? Okay. Have you burglared any house? No. Okay, speeding ticket, no burglary. Correct? Good. Okay. Now, if the cops come to your house and says, hey, I'm going to, we are going to serve a sentence on you for burglary. Are you afraid of the cop? Why? 
Huh? I mean, you're, he's innocent, correct? What if he says, hey, remember the ticket that you... <laughs> now you're like, okay, did I not pay the fine? Okay, did the payment not go? You got it? You got it? See, when you're confident on your righteousness, you have no fear of judgments. Amen? Jesus had no fear of judgments, not because his father is loving. <laughs> no. Why was he confident of his peace with God? Because he had heard from the father. He had confident that he is righteous. He said the father's voice upon him was, this is my beloved son in whom I am. Well pleased. He knows that he's well pleasing to the father. He's perfect. And he knows the father loves him. So he has no fear of the father at all. He has no fear of judgments. Of all the things that you would want from Jesus, if you had to take away from him, what would you want from him? The standing that he has with his father. Because they knew that whatever Jesus would ask, he would get. In fact, they thought that it was something about his prayer. So he, they walked one day and came to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. Means what? Or how to get what you get. So we'll talk about that later on. So Jesus is very smart. He didn't want to tell them that he could not get what he is getting because he's perfectly righteous and he had not paid the price. But the way he answers that thing is so beautiful. Okay, we'll talk about it on that. He gives them the secret. The secret is call this God Father. The moment you call God Father, even though you are unrighteous, even though you messed up, now you, the Father, will find a way to get you back. Amazing! <laughs> because God has made a provision in the law that if you call me Father, then I will find a way to bless you. Now, the, the answer is he does it justly by sending his own son. But he says, for that to happen, call me Father. It's amazing. Okay, so here he says, the peace I live with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let be afraid. Okay, so this is very important. I want you to understand this very, very powerful. The peace that Jesus gives you is not like the peace that world gives you. How many of you have heard that? Right? Have you understood what that means? <laughs> I have not understood it before when I started studying for this Bible study. Right? I've always understood the peace that God, Jesus gives is not like the peace that the world gives. It sounds very spiritual. It looks very beautiful. But how do you define, differentiate the peace between the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world gives? Okay, how do you define peace, George? If I say, hey, do you have peace in your life? What do you say? Everything is going well. There's no sickness and disease in your life. It's shalom, right? Shalom means total well-being. It's not just English peace. He's talking about shalom. He has shalom in his life. That means his children are doing well. Uh, his wife is beautiful and growing more beautiful day by day. You know? Come on, George. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know? Your bank balance is swelling. It's six figures and beyond every month. Right? Shalom, right? There's peace. Is that peace? Do you say that's peace? Oh, are you being, oh, that's not peace, that's being worldly. No, that's peace. Or you're in the gutter and you're in the mud 
and you are you are boils all over your body and then you are suffering and you and you have the peace of god what's the use of the peace right shalom has to affect every area of your life amen yes or no i mean is there is there, a, is there a unanimity at least in that that shalom has to affect every area of your life correct so now tell me how is this peace different from the peace of the world Jesus says the peace i give you is not like the world gives but he never clarifies <laughs> so how is this peace different okay any thoughts it's god's peace and tell me in practical terms it's constant it's there it doesn't leave you okay it doesn't leave you okay now you're trying to break it down okay it's a peace that doesn't leave you okay how long is there a time duration for this duration a lot of the times people in the world have extended periods of peace amen isn't it hey, don't you see the wicked having peace <laughs> no no brother they are not sleeping well how do you know <laughs> do you go into the bedroom to see whether they sleep well at night i think a lot of people sleep pretty well at night those who have wicked right right many of them live long lives what do you say yes fidel castro i mean the guy will <laughs> guy would not die Right? I mean, the the president of Zimbabwe. People have been praying for him to die for a long time, but he never dies. You know. So the wicked live long lives. They have got great wealth. So don't they have peace? For duration is not necessarily a great sint. Uh, you know, sign of peace. But it is right. But God's peace is eternal. At least that is clear. Is there any other differentiator between God's peace and the world's peace? doesn't matter but is there a difference with that peace yeah so the god gives the peace it will be in fullness fullness okay the word peace it will be very specific to that particular area correct yeah very small area in that particular he might have peace in that particular area but no peace in some of the other area he'll have great wealth but his children are all wandering astray correct there is not that shalom wholesome peace that jesus gives correct all encompassing everlasting peace good we are getting we are getting to some place right so now you're trying to find this difference between these two pieces correct amen okay so you're saying what else is missing correct the peace that passes all understanding correct interesting do you hear what she said it's a peace that doesn't make sense think about it why when will peace doesn't make sense Correct. Did you hear that? Peace doesn't make sense when you don't deserve it. So like you must have made a huge sin today. The next day you get a race. And you're like, what's going on here? This peace doesn't make sense. This shalom doesn't make sense. Yes, the peace of God doesn't make sense because even when you blow up, you get blessed. Like Abraham lied about his wife and said it's a sister so that he will not die cool that's not a very edifying thought that his wife is going to get raped and he's more worried about his life and god then says and rebukes abimelech like joseph prince talks about it he says it's so beautiful he says god shows up to abimelech and says all of you are dead if you take sarah as your wife 
<laughs> Joseph, Joseph Prince talks about he's, he's so beautiful. He said, God, you showed up to the wrong man. <laughs> you had to show up to Abraham. He's a liar. <laughs> but remember, Abraham is what? As we studied last lifetime. Righteous. God doesn't see sin in him. God doesn't see sin in him. So the guy is lying through his nose. And not even for some very holy purpose. What is the reason he lied? So that? So that he will not be killed. What about his wife? Not Paul. <laughs> but God, God, God says, I'll be like, don't touch him. Don't restore the woman back to the man. For the man is a prophet. Hallelujah. The man is a prophet. I know he's prophesying a lot of things. But God sees him as a prophet. Why? That's how he looks at us. Perfect and righteous. Is God a liar when he said Abraham is a prophet? No. Because who has paid the price? Jesus Christ. Remember he saw the lamb in the thicket. He saw his day. Abraham saw my day and what did what? <laughs> Why does he rejoice when he saw Jesus in his day? He's like, hallelujah. All my sister lies are taken care of. <laughs> All my uh, Hagar issues are taken care. Somebody had to pay the price. He saw Jesus on Mount Moriah and said, Hallelujah, I can rejoice. Hallelujah. His rejoice has a just basis. Write it down somewhere. His rejoicing had a just basis. Like when I told George, your mortgage is paid, he will not rejoice unless, unless, Unless you see what? You see what? Or if I, okay, let, let, let me get this straight. George, don't worry paying your mortgage. I bombed the bank. <laughs> will that bring peace to you? It will, it will never bring peace to you because now you are a co-conspirator in my act to take care of your mortgage. You are now due for 250,000. Now you will be... George, why are you even thinking about this? <laughs> we have a problem here. <laughs> is, that the, is that the only option left right now? Bob the bag? Is that the He's like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. So what is this got it? So his rejoicing is not based on a just basis. His just basis is when? When he realizes that Anil has paid this mortgage off and I show him my receipt. Then he can rejoice with me. I don't know whether I will rejoice, but he will rejoice. <laughs> so, hey, but God rejoices in him redeeming us, right? Hallelujah, that's God. So he rejoices when he knows his rejoicing as a just basis, correct? So the peace that the world gives does not have a just basis. Write it down. The peace that the world gives does not have a just basis. Because it doesn't have a just basis, you are not sure of what? Correct! Whether the peace will last. You got it? Okay. The Holy Spirit gave me a powerful example. And I was preparing for this. Think about a pig. 
who is being fattened for the slaughter. The pig is being kept in a beautiful chamber, fed all the grain. Correct? Is there shalom in this pig pen? <laughs> Sorry. There is shalom with this pig. The pig has been chosen specifically out from the pigsty, brought into a pig pen and fed the choices of grains. Is there shalom with the pig? Shortler, correct? Can the pig rejoice? Oh, <laughs> okay. The pig doesn't rejoice because the pig doesn't know what's coming tomorrow, correct? But suppose you knew that you are being fattened for the slaughter. Can he rejoice? Though there is peace right now, why? There is no just basis for this peace. Why? Because the judgment is coming. You think about it. When you know the judgment is not finished in your life, you are always uncertain of the peace that is in your life. Think about it. It's very powerful. If you are not sure that judgment is complete, you are not sure of the peace in your life. You are not sure whether you deserve the good things that are happening in your life. You are not confident that you should get the promotion. You are not confident that wealth should happen. Why? Because you are not confident that you are at peace with this God who is Lord of all the earth. You feel that there is still an uncertain business with this great God. That I have to pay my part in this. There is a commandment or a law that somewhere I am fouling short of. That somewhere I have not fasted not enough. Somewhere I have not blessed somebody not enough. Somewhere I have not given somewhere not enough. Somewhere I have not loved somebody not enough. Somewhere I have not uh, betrayed Jesus. Somewhere I had blasphemous thought about Jesus. Because you are not sure that all your judgments have been paid. You got it? Your peace should have a righteous basis for you to know that it is everlasting. Hallelujah. Do you agree to it? So once you are confident of a just basis for your peace, what's happening? Guess what? Your belief affects your walk. Now you will have a confident expectation of good. Write it down. Confident expectation of good. See, once you have the peace of God in your life, you will have a constant, confident expectation of good. Like you will wake up and say, I believe I am going to be blessed today. Why? What's the basis? Because I am at peace with God. All my judgments are paid. I am not a pig that is being fattened for a day of slaughter. It is an everlasting shalom because Jesus has paid the price. He has showed up. And therefore, I can now expect good things in your life. Amen? You agree? You agree? Okay. Now, so he says, this peace that I give you is not like the world gives. The world gives peace, but it doesn't have any just basis. You want to see this? You want to see this verse? I said all this. I gave you all this allegory. But let's read in the Bible. Okay. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 11. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 11. Okay. <clears throat> so, here 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 is here let's read from verse 8, 9, 10, 11. Are you all ready? 
I want you to understand this difference between the world's peace and the peace that Jesus gave us. Okay? Okay, look at this. How can you say we are wise? Now, Israel is not talking to God. They are telling God, we are wise. And the law of the Lord is with us. Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. He's saying the scribes are all writing lies. What lies are they saying? They're saying, you are keeping, guys, you are keeping the law. You are Jews, you are keeping the law, right? You are good guys. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Behold, I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who inherit them. Because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. They are saying, God is saying, all of you guys are covetous. So you are going to not benefit no blessings. Your wives are going to be given to others. You are going to lose your land, your property and everything. But you all in your mind think you are cool because you have the law of God. But don't you know that the law of God has been given to you to prove what? Your righteousness or your sinfulness? Your sinfulness. Remember the law is given to you for what? To prove how good you are or how evil you are. Are you sure? The law is given to you to prove how good you are or how evil you are. How evil you are. Jesus, uh, Paul's own words and he's talking about the law has been given to you to show man up. So that he can now turn to the savior. Okay, look at this. From everyone deals falsely. Verse 11. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Okay, this is what the, the leaders of the priests and the scribes and the priests are telling Israel. Saying, Israel, peace, peace, peace. When there is no peace. Jesus, God, God is saying, they have only healed the hurt of my people superficially. When the world says peace, 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 they are telling it superficially. It's like me telling George, don't pay your mortgage. That's good news. It's not good news because I am not taking care of the payment. So when peace does not, when peace has not paid the price, that peace is not justified. That peace, that's why he says, they, they, they have not hurt Heal the hurt of the daughter of my people superficially. The word slightly means superficially. Saying peace, peace, peace when there is no peace. There is no peace. When, when the world says peace, peace, peace. It gives you an appearance of peace. But there is no basis for that peace. You don't know when judgment is coming. Judgment is surely coming. But you don't know when judgment is coming. So it's, it's a peace that does not have an everlasting basis. Amen. Okay, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Let's read this. And it's one of the, it's a very, very powerful word, chapter on, on, on peace. Okay? Okay. Are you all ready? Okay, I want you all to Kind of read, read with me. But hopefully, if you have the new King, new King James version, you don't have the new. If you don't have the new King James version, just kind of follow after me. But I want you to go through each one of them. I'm going to highlight on some of the points, but I want you to go through it. It's a very powerful passage, right? 
It's a passage that not many Christians understand this passage. Correct? Okay. And they use it to hit believers. It's actually not meant for believers. Look at, look at the way it solves the problem. Okay. Verse 59. Isaiah chapter 59. It is the most part of it. Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, nor its ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. See? Because you are sinful, he cannot hear. It's not that because his ears are short or his, his hand is short. Ears are hard of hearing. But he says, your sins have separated you. Have you separated yourself from me? No, your sins have separated you from me. So that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue have muttered perversity. Look at verse 4. What does it say? No one calls for justice. Correct? Nor does any plead for truth. So he's saying, everybody says peace, peace, peace. But nobody is willing to pay the price. Nobody is calling for justice. Justice is as important as God's compassion. Nobody is calling for justice. He's like God, he's saying you expect me to answer your prayers when you are? When you are unrighteous. How can I answer your prayers when you are sinful? Is this my words or Jesus' words? God's words. This is God's words, correct? I cannot. No one calls for justice. How can you expect me to hear you because you are sinful? See, have you heard people preach this with you? See, no, God is not hard of hearing, but your sins have separated you from God. <laughs> no? And how many times do you have to confess your sins? It's not good for you. This is before you were born again. Look at what, what the problem is. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch wipers' eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs die. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments. Remember, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves after they sinned with what? Fig leaves. Could, they could not cover their shame. Then God had to show up and cover them with the sacrifice of his son. Correct? The lamb. Okay. They could not cover themselves with their works. They tried to cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. So what, what is the, why is it wasting and destruction in their paths? Why does everything that they touch all spoil? There is losses. Like sometimes have you wondered in your life, like, are you, whatever is the whatever I touch just breaks down. Whatever I think breaks down. Those are symptoms of of the curse. Correct? Which should not be happening to you. But why does it happen to you? Somewhere there is a problem. Somewhere you don't believe that the price has been paid. Somewhere you have not realized the peace of God. The judgments of God has been passed and the enemy is falsely trying to bring judgments on you. Okay? Do you hear it? Okay. Look at verse 8. The way of peace they have not known and there is no justice in the way. See? If the peace of God also has what in it? The justice of God. The peace of the world does not have justice in it. Let me tell you this, very, very powerful. When Adam and Eve, uh, sorry, Abel and Cain wanted to bring an offering, both brought an offering, both were sinful, but one did not have something in it. What was that? Blood. Blood. 
There was no justice in one. Ekin brought a justice-less offering. That means nobody paid the price for his sin. In Abel's offering, price was paid. So in one there was justice, in another there was no justice. You got it? You got it? So all along you should remember that if you don't see the justice in your peace, you will be tempted to pay the price yourself. You will slaughter your Isaac. You will be tempted to slaughter your Isaac. Why? Because you want to pay the price. Because your something inside you always tells you what? No. Price has to be paid. But then, but they want to do it. He wants to do it himself. Doesn't want to trust a God who has provided the provision himself. So look at the verse 8. There is the, the ways of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes the way shall not know peace. Therefore, verse 9, because now they have taken the way of Cain, they have taken that path which does not involve price being paid. What happens? Justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. Okay, look at verse this. Verse uh, 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 15. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. See, God is like fed up that there is no justice. Everyone is talking about peace, 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 but there is no justice. So God saying, I, it doesn't, I don't like this fact that people want to do good. They are trying to do good. The moment they try to do good, they are getting punished. Like for example, give you an example, Job. Job was offering a sacrifice every day, Correct. But every time he wanted to shun evil, what is happening? Judgments were coming on him. Do you see the problem? Wasn't Job trying to do the right thing? Correct. He was, what did he say? I have, I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a woman. I have given to the poor. He is boasting in what? In his works. But he's, is his heart right? Yes. He wants to be right. But the moment he wants to do right, what happens? Look at this. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Wow. When you don't have peace in your life and you try to pay the price, Satan will come to pay, get you to pay the price. Satan will come to get you to pay the price. Satan will come to get you to pay the price. Satan, you know, so on the night of the Passover, when Jesus was about to die, right? Jesus is telling that, behold, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. And then Peter immediately said, though all may leave you, I will not leave you. Correct? The moment he said that, Jesus said, before the rooster crows this night three times, you, before the rooster crows this night, you will deny me three times. Peter right now has good intentions. He is saying that I will not leave you. Correct? Jesus immediately says, what? You will deny me. Why? Because Satan is going to test him right away. The moment he said, I will not leave you, 
Satan has something to test. So now Satan comes as an executor of God's judgment. So you said you will not leave him, correct? So now you are depending on your works to prove your love to God, correct? So you are saying that you will obey the law, that you will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You will not leave it, correct? Okay. Peter said, yes, I will not leave you. No matter what, everybody leaves you, I will not leave you. Open the door for whom? Satan. To do what? To test him. Listen. That is why Jesus in the Lord's prayer said one very important statement that I never understood for a longest period of time. Last couple of months I understood it more and more. He said, do not lead us into testings. But deliver us from the evil one. What God, Jesus is saying by teaching the prayer to the disciples is, He's telling God, God, we are not righteous. Why bother testing us? <laughs> Think about it. Jesus, God, we are not righteous. Why bother testing us? We will fail. That is humility or pride? That is humility or pride? That is humility. Don't bother testing me. I will fail. When you say test me, you're presupposing your strength. And that is evil. Do you understand that verse now? Do not lead us into testings, but deliver us from the evil one. Because who is the one who is going to come to test? Satan. Satan. What is he testing? He's testing your love for God. Your ability to keep the law. He's testing something. He doesn't care what. He said, no, from this day onwards, I am not going to eat mushrooms. Guess what? Get ready. <laughs> for, because God, he doesn't care how you are condemned. He only cares that you are. You hear that? You hear that? So don't boast in your ability to keep anything. Receive his peace as a gift. Do you get it? Do you get that? Receive his peace. Don't expect to be tested. When you say test me, you're presupposing your strength. And when does Satan test you? Satan tests you Whenever you rely on your strength. It's very easy to avoid being tested. <laughs> it's like, my righteousness is not my own. My righteousness is his. My peace is not mine. My peace has a just basis. It has been paid. And therefore, I can rightly be redeemed. Amen? Okay, okay then, this, then the Lord saw it and it displeased him. There was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. Then look at verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and are clad with zeal as a cloak. According to his deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury in his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. Look at verse 6. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Now, 
And I will close with this because we don't have time to go through everything. Now when the enemy comes against you, he always comes as a flood. Always. He always comes like a flood. He always comes as a flood. He always comes as a flood. He may not come at a flood every time. But he knows when he comes, he'll come as a flood. So now when the enemy comes as a flood, because of what Jesus did. See, God said his own arm brought the salvation. He put on breastplate. That means he came as Jesus. And he paid the price. Because it displeased that man could not keep the law. So he said his own arm brought salvation. Isn't that cool? Correct? So now whatever he gets, his own righteousness sustained him. It's not the righteousness of a man that is causing the blessing. It is his own righteousness sustains him. So who sustains this blessing? Remember we talked about the peace that does not pass at all understanding. Who sustains that peace? His Jesus righteousness sustains that peace for you. Sustains it. Even when you sin, it sustains it. Because his righteousness sustains it for you. Got it? Because God is not looking at your works. He's looking at his righteousness. That solves a problem for God because for the first time there is justice. Is that cool? Is that cool? So the enemy now still will come like a flood. See, his salvation has come. Jesus has come. But the enemy still comes like a flood. Amen? So, but now when the enemy comes like a flood, what, what, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. What's the standard? Standard is a victory banner reflecting a past victory. Like, for example, if you raise the flag of the United States over this, and if some other country comes against it, they look at the flag of the United States, what do they see? That it has already been taken. Good. I love that. So when Satan now comes against you with judgments. As a flood. The spirit of God which is in you. Raises up the standard of what? What standard? Saying the price has already been paid. That don't don't bother coming here. This guy has already No, this guy has already died. Got it? He died. He's already died. Why bother killing a guy when he's already died? You don't hang a guy two times for the same murder. Once he's hanged, he's gone. So the spirit of God raises up that atonement of Jesus Christ as the finished work of Jesus Christ and your peace. That's your banner right now. So when Satan comes as a flood on the floodplain of Jordan, You know, for the longest period of time, okay, this is so exciting and I cannot go two months without sharing this with you. Okay, read Jeremiah chapter uh, 12, verses 1 to 5. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. I know we have going through so much of this foundation of this piece, right? Do you like it? Okay, okay, Because because something exciting is going to happen after this. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 12 verses 1 to 5. Jeremiah chapter 12. Man, there's so much stuff in the world. I wish we could like have like 24 hour session by breaks with food and all just go through some passages, you know. Okay, uh, Jeremiah chapter 12 verses 1 to 5. 
Okay, so let me give you a context. Here is Jeremiah trying to say, the Jeremiah is saying, Lord, I am good. You know my heart. I am, I am not bad. But why do the wicked are so blessed? See, classic case of somebody who believes in his, in his righteousness. Right? Look at what he says. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. But yet, let me talk to you about your judgments. Jeremiah <laughs> is saying, you know, I have a small discussion that I need to have with you, right? You're perfect, you're good. Thoda maska polish kar raha hai, you know? <laughs> like in, in Hindi, it's like he's trying to butter God up. He's saying, God, you're good, you're perfect. Let me kind of talk to you. But let me talk about your judgments. Doesn't seem very fair. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? You know? Why, why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You talk about peace, right? The guys are so happy, right? You, yeah, you have planted them, yes. They have taken root and they grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but they are far from their mind. So, Jeremiah has a problem with the people who are not righteous. Correct? And then what he says about it. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. <laughs> Look at that. Test. A prideful man will always talk about testing. You will never want to walk into a test you are not confident of passing. Correct? Right? If you know you're going to fail, will you give a test? Do you? No. You don't give a test. Only a confident man in his works talks about test. Test me and see that there is no wicked way in me. <laughs> don't even try that. Don't even try that. <laughs> yeah. Now you can say, Lord, test me in me. You can see the righteousness of God in me. Amen? Amen? It's not yours. Remember? Okay, okay. You, but you are not, you, O oh Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. <laughs> the guy is not confident about the wicked. Be careful what you pray for the wicked if you are not confident about your righteousness because God might just answer it. <laughs> Remember? Remember when you talk about, Lord, kill the wicked, Lord, kill the wicked. You won't be there. If, because you are wicked, right? If you are not in Christ Jesus. Amen? Remember. Prepare them from the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The bees and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. Now, this is how God, the Lord replies. This is Jesus replying to Jeremiah. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how then will you contend with horses? When they say, man, you are running with men and they have tired you out. How will you run with horses? Okay? Look at the next verse. If in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, how will you, what then, how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Have you read that verse before? Have you read that verse? God is saying, if you have trusted in the land of peace, what will you do? And they have tired you out. You're frustrated. You're given up. What will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? This is what God is saying. This is so powerful. He's saying, you are seeing that the wicked prosper, correct? And you are thinking that it is happening because they are enjoying peace 
and I'm not and I'm not executing my justice on them. Correct? You are seeing this and you are upset. Correct? What will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? He's saying when you trust in your righteousness in your land of your peace, what will happen when Jordan shows up? What is Jordan? Remember we said the three crossings last lifetime? Three crossings are the Jordan is a picture of death. Satan's best enemy clan, Satan's biggest weapon against you is what? Death. On the floodplains of Jordan, how will you survive? That means when death comes, shows up on your doorstep, what will your righteousness do for you? What will your righteousness do for you with all your righteousness? Sorry, what will your righteousness do for you on the day of your death? In the floodplain? See, Satan doesn't care because he knows his final weapon is what? Death. And he will keep you a slave throughout your life because of the fear of death. On the floodplains of the Jordan, no one can survive him. You might survive in this land of peace. Oh, I am still 20 years old. Floodplains of the Jordan only start at... I don't want to confess. <laughs> you got it? When you contended in your land of peace and you're trusting in your righteousness and now you're so bold to bring down judgment on the wicked, what will you do in the floodplain of Jordan? See, God has to solve the problem of the Jordan. And did he solve it? He did. Because he went to the Jordan. Because the Bible says when the feet of the priest of those who bear the ark touch the rivers of Jordan, the water shall heap up from Adam. That's a prophecy of all the sins that will be piled up the moment Jesus enters death. All the sins of all the world will pile up upon Jesus and he will die for you. And he will cross over the Jordan for you. But he will give you the credit for it. So that when you show up on the other side and when the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Girgasites and the Bibiwites and all the parasites, you meet them on the other shore, they show up, correct? And they now threaten you. What will you tell them, Rajesh? We've been through the Jordan. <laughs> See, because now your peace has a just basis. You paid the price. But he said, no, no, but you didn't pay. Aha, uh -huh. we paid the price. We were in that ark. You didn't see it. You didn't see it. We were in the ark. So when God put us in Jesus and Jesus paid the price, God accounted that price to you as a credit so that on the other side of the Jordan, in the land of Canaan, you shall inherit the houses that you did not build, the vineyards that you did not plant, the wells that you did not dig, the houses that are filled that you did not deserve, because this is a peace that passes, no, makes no sense. Hallelujah, do you make that? This peace doesn't make any sense, because this peace has what? Just. A just basis for it. I'm sorry, I'm shocked. It has a just basis for the first time, because now Mr. George can sleep well at night because he knows he paid the mortgage. Not me. I paid it. But the bank 
treats it as if he paid it. Because I put his name on it and gives you the credit. So he has, he can sleep all his days. And I declare, we talked about your mortgage so much, in Jesus' name, that your mortgage gets paid off as a sign. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it is done because now he has a just basis. So when you are walking into Philistines' houses, these big mansions, and you go in and lie on their couches, you don't feel guilty. Because you say what? I went through the Jordan. I paid the price. This peace has a basis for it. The moment you have the basis for your peace, what follows? Prosperity. Do you want to see this picture? Validated? Do you, are you excited to see this? Because I said the good part is at the towards the end. You're like, I'm talking about peace, 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 peace. No, no. I understood. Now you talk about peace. Peace is not this fluffy, nice feeling inside your jacket. Or oh, this warm feeling. A lot of Hindus talk about this. Hey, brother, when you said something, I had peace. But that's what, when I meditate also, I have peace. When you talk also, I have peace. <laughs> See, that peace is no just basis for it. It's like a pig that is being fattened for the day of slaughter. Shalom in this pig pen. But the day of judgment is coming. Because what will you do in the day of the Jordan? Wow. So Satan boasted about the floodplains of Jordan for such a long time. God solved the problem at the Jordan. Do you know that? Okay, go and read Jeremiah chapter 49. Go and read Jeremiah chapter 49. Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 19. Now he's talking to the Ammon, Ammon, he's talking to Edom. Edom is the enemy, which is Satan and his kingdom. It's a picture. Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 19. Okay, look at what he says. I will come like a lion from the of the Jordan. No, behold, uh, that, that translation. Yeah, yeah, it's an NIV. Oh, please, guys, don't take an NIV. Janavi does not translate correctly. I'm saying just, just don't take Janavi. Okay. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. Correct? Satan always comes up like a lion from the, from the floodplain of Jordan against the dwelling of the strong. He always comes. See, remember Satan comes as a lion roaring? But his strength is the floodplain of the Jordan. What is his, his strength? His strength is that he is one day going to kill you. Death is his power. Who gave him the power of death? He does not have the power. He just uses God's laws, judgments against you. He did not invent death. By the way, Satan did not invent death, okay? Death is... Death is so... Yeah, because it's a, it's a sentence that God designed. Correct? Death is so creative. Think about it. Death is also so creative. Nothing creative comes out of Satan. Right? So, so even death, he uses God's law against the strong. So he comes like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. But, look at that. But I will suddenly make him run away from her. He's talking about her as Zion, as we believers, the church. Satan cannot now survive against us. Why? And who is the chosen man that I will appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? Satan right now cannot withstand God. 
because till Jesus died, he could threaten you with death. But after Jesus died and rose again, he cannot threaten you with death because you died. Now what happens is, let's read this. Let's read, now he says to Edom, let's read uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 44. Now he talks to Babylon. Babylon is another satanic kingdom. He's talking to Satan, right? These are pictures of Satan's kingdoms. He's talking to Babylon. Let's read verse 44. What does he say? 50 verse 44. Right. Right. Okay. And who is the chosen man that I may appoint over her? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? See, now nobody can withstand Jesus because rightfully he's paid the price. Satan cannot use the threats of the floodplain of the Jordan against you. He he's hanging around at the floodplains of Jordan, all these lions. You got it? That is why by fear of death, he keeps in bondage. Those by fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. You see that? Fear is the cause of all evil in your life. If you can get rid of fear, but how can I get rid of fear? You can only get rid of fear if you have peace. You cannot say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fear, I'm not going to fear. No, 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 no. See, if I say, don't worry about your mortgage, Correct? How, when will he not worry about mortgage? You know, you know uh, uh, George, you should not worry about mortgage, okay? You should, that's not, that's sin, okay? You should not think about mortgage every day. He will not think about mortgage if his, his house is paid or he has a report about this. So you cannot just replace fear with just don't fear. You know, we, we have been told, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. No, I will not fear, but I need some basis on not to fear. Now you have a basis on your peace that it has been paid. There's a just basis. Okay, so he says what? Therefore the floodplains of the Jordan don't threaten you. Keep reading verse down. Verse, uh, verse 45. Look at what it says. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. That means even the least in the kingdom of the church shall, will not be afraid of Satan and his power kingdom right now. We are not afraid of them now. The lions, they will draw them out. Hallelujah. So Manorri, you don't be afraid of Satan now. And he tells you all this stupid stuff. Oh, you know what? You, you know your days are numbered. I don't care. My days were numbered before, but not now. So even the least of them. That means somebody who is not very grown up in the gospel. The least of them can say the name of Jesus and draw them out. Because there is a rightful basis for this victory. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's go and I'll close with this chapter about this prosperity. Okay, let's go to John and we skip so many verses. Okay, John chapter 20. Now Jesus has died, correct? He rose again. So before he, before he went to the cross, the most important inheritance he gives the disciples is what? He gives us peace. So after he rose again, see the most important thing on his mind. John chapter 20 verses 9, 19 onwards. Okay. 
I want you to read through this very powerful passage. I want you to go through it because you understand that not all that he studied was a basis, the understanding, everything. Now let's see what really happens with Jesus, correct? After his resurrection. Because if this proves the point that peace has an immediate effect as a real effect on your life, it will change stuff in your life right now. Because this is the resurrected Jesus, correct? It's not before, it's after, after resurrection. Let's now read John chapter 20 verses 19 onwards. Then the same day at evening, when the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace to, peace with you. So here are, Jesus has rose again. So are the disciples born again? Yes or no? Jerry? Are the disciples born again here? At this point? Are the disciples born again? Yes. Remember when Jesus raised up from the dead, God raised all the spirits, dead spirits with him. So they were, they believed in Jesus, but their spirits were dead. Jesus paid the price and then rose again. God raised Jesus. God raised all the dead spirits along with Abraham, Isaac, all, and all the living and the dead in Christ. Everybody he raised. So now they're all, that is why he told the thief on the cross, today he will be with me in paradise because he's raised. So everybody's raised, right? Everybody's born again. At this point of time, they are born again. Correct? But where are they? They are in a house and the doors are shut for the fear of the Jews. So, why are, they, why are the doors shut? Okay, are they born again? Do they, do they have anything to fear Satan? No, because they are on which side of the Jordan? The other side of the Jordan where Satan has no power, correct? He's, they are dead. You can't kill a dead guy. You can't kill a dead guy again. Satan can only be on this side of the Jordan. cannot go on the other side, right? That's why the Bible says, the Egyptians that you shall see this day, you shall see them no more. Because Red Sea is also a picture of death. That's the three crossings. The first crossing was in the Passover night, when they could not cross the blood. The second crossing was the Red Sea. They couldn't cross the sea. And the third crossing was the Jordan, where they couldn't cross the Jordan. The first crossing is a crossing for to you to be right with God, the invisible. The second is to be right to be right with the visible enemies, and the third is yourself, where they wouldn't go in because they thought they were unrighteous. And God said, "Go back to the Jordan." <laughs> Every time you feel that you are not righteous, go back to the Jordan. Every time you feel that you messed up, go back to the Jordan. And what is the Jordan in today's world? Come on, the bread. And the wine. When you take communion, you remember the Lord's Jordan till he comes. Because it gives you the confidence to receive whatever you need. Over your visible enemies as well as your own estimation about how evil you are. Every time you feel condemned in your life, go take communion. Go back to the Jordan. See, because who stopped them from entering Canaan? After the Red Sea crossing. Didn't they cross the night of the Passover? Did they not cross over the blood? Did they not cross the Red Sea? So could they not have taken the land of the Canaanites? Who stopped them? They themselves. 
Who will make them believe that they are righteous? Go back to the Jordan. So that's why we talked about the three crossings last time. Do you remember? That's why I wanted you to listen to last time's message. Very powerful message. That revelation is God. The three crossings. And the Holy Spirit was telling me that, Anna, look at the word cross. What is in the cross? The crossing. In every crossing is the cross. The power is totally from God. Like every time you don't believe that you can receive something, Go to the cross and remember that the price has been paid. Make sense? Bobby, go back to the cross. Don't say, I believe this. I'm going to get this house. I, not because I deserve it, because price has been paid. Price has been paid, right? Go back to the cross. Okay, so, so here they are afraid. Their doors are closed. They are afraid. The fear, they, are, they are afraid of what? The Jews. What are they afraid of the Jews? Okay, okay. Now you want to go very slowly with here, okay? Because this is this is very applicable to us because this applies to believers after the cross, isn't it? Because what's happening to them is what technically happens right now because there's no change. Correct? Jesus is risen, they are born again, we are born again, correct? They are afraid many times. We are afraid, correct? What is their basis for fear, Jerry? Why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? No, what are they afraid of? Why are the doors closed? By the Jews, correct? Why? Why were they afraid of the Jews? Because they killed Jesus. They will easily kill them. So they are afraid of what? They are afraid of the Jews? No. They are afraid of death. See, their whole purpose of closing the doors is because they are afraid of what? Dying. They are afraid of death. Remember, they are afraid of the lions from the floodplain of the Jordan. You got it? Because they are afraid of the Jordan. But nobody has told them what? They have crossed the Jordan. They have died. But you say, Anil, 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 that's all spiritual. Here is a practical problem. The Jews are outside looking to kill them. I don't understand spirituality and Jordan and all that, but they will kill them. But let me tell you this. The Jews have no power over them because what is reflected in the natural has to be first done in the spiritual. In the spiritual, they are safe. So they are safe physically. So what happens on your, in your physical realm? You know what? The Jews have no authority over them even though they have weapons. Because these judgments are real, brothers and sisters. You know, you say, but Anil, we are living in the 21st century. What has my boss got to do with my judgments in Luke chapter 10? Doesn't matter. What happens there is reflected. That's why he said, a warfare is not against flesh and blood, because it's against principalities and powers and rulers of the dark places and against every... and. High thinking that exalts, and we said we take captive every high thinking that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we cast down every arguments. See, this this is Satan and his kingdom has arguments against you on a daily basis, and it is reflected in your boss, in your spouse, in your neighbor, in your house, in your child. It's it's reflected downstairs as judgments percolating into your life. Make sense? 
and then you shut doors and I have ADT security <laughs> you know? we all, because we are not matured in our understanding of the love of God and what God has done at Jordan for us our savior has done make sense so there is some level of fear that's constantly roaming around because we are ultimately afraid of what death so Jesus has to solve this problem correct didn't you, uh, Jesus didn't Jesus solve the problem yes but just but just does Jesus still have a problem with them yes because now the, by virtue of their fear reasonable or unreasonable are they enjoying shalom no is it affecting their walk yes. is there an oxygen deficiency in that room <laughs> yes. right but who is causing this problem they themselves where where is it happening in their minds in their minds they are an enmity with whom with God because they don't know whether they messed up with God and God doesn't want them to live has just left them Jesus has gone now we are going to die we are all alone because God has they have evil thoughts now about God correct okay let's read it so Jesus come and stood in the midst and said peace to you and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, why is Jesus showing them his hands and his side? He's proving them that the basis of your fear does not have a basis. Because now, I paid that price. I died. You don't pierce my hands and my side and live. <laughs> you know, on the cross, you live. That's a picture of what? Guys, what's a picture of his hands and feet pierced? Death. It's death. No, we, we have no idea what happened on the cross. No man can survive the cross. Could not survive the cross. It's one of the most brutal executions form ever created by man. No man can survive it. It is amazing. It cannot happen. So they know when they saw it that this is not somebody who came escaped death. He is the one who went through death. So now he is saying your, your fear has no basis because I died. So why is he not pointing to what they did and why is he pointing to what he did? Because he is pointed, pointed to them. You see these hands and feet that are pierced? That's the punishment that you paid. That's your punishment. I just paid it, but it's your punishment. These are the receipts. So show them your receipt. Show Satan the receipts of the death of Jesus Christ. Every time he shows up at your door. Show him your receipts. Show him your receipts. Every time, if somebody, you walk out of Walmart with a 50-inch flat screen TV, most likely at the door, they will ask what? Or... Or what? Or proof of purchase. There has to be a basis for you to walk out for this stuff from Walmart. I don't think a lot of the ladies believe that. They like they have the right to walk out of everything because that's my dad, my husband's credit card, you know. But that's how it is. You should, but you still did you purchase that TV? Did you pay for it? But can you still walk out of it? No. You have to show the receipt. Because they don't know that 
it, you are paid for it. Correct? So that is why Jesus is showing them the receipts. Saying that, hey, paid. Okay, so this is done, right? So verse 21. So he said, first time he said peace, correct? Verse 21. So Jesus said to them, verse 21. Jesus said to them, before the word peace, Jesus said to them, again. Why again? Why? Because no, no, it is difficult. It's difficult for you and I to believe that the price has been paid. Because they still don't believe that, that, that peace has a just basis. So what Jesus says, peace to you. Correct? And as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. So how did the Father send Jesus into the world? He sent Jesus into the world preaching what? Peace. That's how he said He kept telling everybody, your sins are forgiven. And all judgments have been paid up. I will take your judgment. So he's preaching peace. He says, just like I, God has sent me, I am sending you. How can you preach peace if you don't have peace? So he says, as I am sending you, you, you go ahead and send peace. Okay, and then he said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, the first mention of the Holy Spirit after resurrection, what is the Holy Spirit's role? Look at this. Verse 23. Okay, I'm going to read this. This is a verse that not many believers don't even want to read through it. Because it has a Catholic connotation to it. Correct? And you like, you just skip over it and go to the next verse because it doesn't make any sense. What? 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 what, what Suddenly in the midst of this peace and Holy Spirit, Jesus throws in this of all the things. Think about it. See, there are, are you like, have you studied this passage, this verse ever? And had made any sense out of this? Okay. Listen to this. So he breathes on them and tells, receive the Holy Spirit. Now they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they are, now they, they receive the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is now going to be come to them. And it comes on them fully on the day of Pentecost. But right now they have the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain of the sins of any, if, they, if you retain of any, they are retained. Why does he talk about sins being forgiven when he's talking about peace? And why does he say that now you have a choice to retain sins or forgive sins? Let me ask you a question. Didn't Jesus forgive all your sins? Or the Lord forgive all your sins, correct? Jesus paid the price and the Lord has forgiven your sins because the price has been paid, correct? So then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Why? So he's saying, so think about the previous words. He said, just as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. So the Father gave Jesus the same authority that he gave you. Jesus is giving you. So think loudly. When the Father sent Jesus to the earth, he sent the Son by these same words. He said, 
receive the Holy Spirit? And did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit? When did he start preaching the gospel? After receiving the Holy Spirit. Correct? And what was the gospel he started preaching? Yeah, but what is the gospel? That your sins are forgiven. So he gives them the Holy Spirit and sends them with the same message that he sends that Jesus is now giving you. He's saying, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So he's thinking, what did the Father do to me? Father said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm breathing on you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. So he's saying what? Do what with this? No, no, no. Do what with this? So he says, okay, I know it's a little difficult to understand it. But he says, Manor, this is a cup of water. Either you can drink it or you can throw it. So what is my expectation for you to do with this water? Drink it! The fact that I'm telling you it is for drinking or throwing means not that throw, 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 you know. So when God says, if you can retain the sins of any, oh, now I have the power <laughs> to retain sins. No, he's saying, no, because for you to do, man, think about it. For you to heal somebody, for you to bring wealth into somebody's life, when you need to multiply bread, when you have to do things, you have to first remove judgments out of them. And how do you remove judgments? By forgiving sins. Just as the father sent Jesus by saying, go ahead, go son, go. I know they have, the world is under condemnation, but you go down and forgive people's sins wholesale. And Jesus said, wholesale? How can I just forgive? You are a just God. Who is going to pay the price? And the father looks at Jesus and smiles. And he's sad, but he smiles. Because he saw the labor of his soul and was pleased. And Jesus looked at the father and said, hmm. See, that was difficult for Jesus, but he still did it. Isn't it? But is it difficult for you? No. Is that beautiful? You know, drink the water or throw the water. What do you want to do with the water, Manor? Do you want to drink it or not? Right? Do you want to retain any people's sins or what? Why? Because now you have the authority. Because the price has been paid. All you are is a messenger boy going from door to door telling mortgage paid, mortgage paid, mortgage paid, mortgage paid. Neighbor I don't like. Mortgage not paid. (laughs) You don't do that. Because freely you have received. Freely give. Go ahead. Because when you declare their sins are forgiven, what happens in the spirit? No, no, no. I know all that spiritual words. But what really happens in the spirit? Judgments cannot now stand on a forgiven person. You got it? So the moment you tell somebody your sins are forgiven means what? All the judgments that were associated with sins upon that person has to cease. That means if you are demon possessed, demons have to go. If your health has a problem, health has to restore. If you are in poverty, money has to come. Why? Because all these are symptoms of what? Judgments as a result of sin. So the way you now activate things in your life is by declaring it. You forgive it. So, so it's primarily applicable for whose sins? 
your own sins. Think about it. How can you go about forgiving other people's sins when you have have you don't feel that all your sins are not completely forgiven? If you have retained sins in your life, when you say, Anil, but I, how do I retain sins? Because you have not, you have refused the forgiveness. You refuse the forgiveness. You are receiving the condemnation and the fear of death because you don't. You still believe that you are going to die. No, I don't believe it. Then why is your door closed? <laughs> Duh! Why is your door closed? No, but door is closed because you know it's good to close doors. <laughs> but but why is it good to close doors? Think about it. It's always about death. At the end of it, it's all about death. So, so do you believe there is something in your life, there is still sin unforgiven in your life? Yes. When I was two years old, I stole a candy from that auntie. <laughs> forgive it. Forgive it. Get over it. Because you don't want fear in your life. You got it? Because the sins are forgiven, but now you have the authority to retain it. Retained sins are dangerous. It has the same effect as unforgiven sins. Retained sins are dangerous. It has the same effect as unforgiven sins. As if the sins were not forgiven. Because you, Satan doesn't care how he brings judgments upon you. If you are willing to receive it, he will put it. I've told you many times, I said, it's like uh, doorbell rings. Ting tong, who's there? Snakes for you? <laughs> what do you do when somebody comes and delivers snakes at your doorsteps? What do you do? You refuse delivery. How many Christians open the door, give him inside and give him $20 tip? <laughs> snakes for you. Why snakes? If Satan comes with snakes at your door, say wrong receipt, wrong address. Wrong address. Has your name on it, number on it. Don't care. He died. Oh, that one. That one died, you know. 2,000 years back, that one died at the Jordan. That one died at the Jordan. Sorry, what to do? Dead people cannot deliver stuff. <laughs> you cannot deliver sickness and disease to dead people. Write it down somewhere. You cannot deliver sickness, disease and poverty to dead people. You know you are dead in Christ Jesus. Now you can only deliver what? Life and blessings to righteous. So I'm saying, are you trying to redeem your mind out of it? Start to expect now things. See, Mr. Anil, where is the basis for it? Okay, one and a half hours later, there's a basis for it. At least that you're clear on it. Okay, now see. So he breathed on him and he said, so second time he said, peace. So now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Now Thomas is not there. Now they have no fear. Correct? Okay. They, at least we think they should not have fear by now. How many times did Jesus say peace to them? Two times. Correct? So now Thomas is not there. So Thomas has not received this peace instruction. Amen? Okay. So after... So he says, unless I put my hands in the print up. So he is very clear. At least I like one thing about Thomas. What is that? He wants proof of payment. And we always condemn him for that. I'm like, man, that is good. He's asking for proof of payment. Okay. So Jesus is 
is not mad because he is not asking for proof of payment. Correct? He is not mad. Okay, look at me. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and what? <laughs> why is the door shut? I mean, why is the door shut right now? Anil, it is good for the door shut. Can you move on? <laughs> no, no. See, there's a problem with door shut. Doors are shut because they don't want the Jews to know that they are there. Why do they don't want Jews to know they are there? Because they are still afraid of the Jews. Even after the peace, Jesus shows up with the receipt. So, what does Jesus do? Again says what? Peace to you because Jesus cannot move on with your life. Jesus, move on, move on, move on. I will survive with these fears. It will be with me throughout my life. Move on. Just bless me now, okay? Just bless me. No. He cannot move on. See, prosperity cannot come into your life unless you are confident of the basis for your prosperity. Unless you are confident on what basis there is peace in your life. You will be always unsure of why am I blessed? Why is this happening? Oh, if it's happening today, it will be taken away tomorrow. Oh, I better make sure I have life insurance. Oh, I better have this. I do this. I do this. Because now you are worried about the prosperity that God brings because you are not sure whether that prosperity will stay. Then you are... Get rid of the fear in the first place. So Jesus wants to solve the problem of peace right now in your life first. You got it? So he shows up and says what? Doesn't change. Let's visit John. Lesson number one. <laughs> After I resurrected. Peace to you. Shalom. Because he wants them to know what? Shalom. That price has been paid. So what does he do again? He tells Thomas, reach your finger here. Again he shows them what? The signs of Jordan. Again he shows them the same thing. Because he's not going to move out from there. Go back to the cross and know that the price has been paid. Go back to the cross. There's a just basis why you should not be afraid in your life. Oh, no, no, brother. I, I will, why don't you lay hands on me and cast out the spirit of fear from me? If I wish, I can cast out the mind out of your mind, you know, so that God will give you a new mind. There's no fear. I mean, there's no spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit doesn't share accommodation. Uh, I will take the drawing room. You take the bedroom, okay? <laughs> Holy Spirit occupies all of you, right? He does not like, okay, spirit of fear in there, covetousness in that room. You take the game room, you know? I will take the living room. No. The Holy Spirit is all in charge. There is no spirit of fear in you. You, you have to renew your mind and believe that there is a basis for your peace and receive that instruction. Receive that knowledge. Receive that knowledge. Open your eyes and receive that knowledge and say, peace to you. See my hands. Go back to your hands. That's why we take communion. Remembering the Lord's death until he comes. Why do you have to keep remembering it? Now you know why you have to remember it. You wake up tomorrow and you say, Hachi, I think I am going to get this flu. Every year I get this flu. Why? Because you don't believe Jesus took the flu. But last year I think he took the flu. <laughs> you just think the logic of it, right? 2000 years back he thought about you for the flu of 24 2016 I will take but let's skip 2017 and let's go to 2018 <laughs> when he's taken everything remember the waters gathered heaped up until 
Adam, the city of Adam, when dark went into the Jordan. That means all the sins up to Adam, all, the whole thing, piled up, so that Israel, when he walked then, would not touch that judgment. See, all these judgments that were piling up, God's wisdom was piling up, piling up, piling up. And Jesus says, this generation, this is very funny. If you read this, it looks like Jesus is condemning that generation, right? He says, upon this generation shall come. And this is so powerful. If you don't read the Bible with the eyes to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will miss everything. You'd be like, what's the big deal with this? He said, upon this generation shall come the sins of from righteous Abel to righteous Zechariah who was killed between the temple. So what when you read this and Jesus is talking to the people. He says upon this generation shall come the judgment. So what so does it look bad or evil or bad or good or bad? What do you think? It's, it's good news because in that generation was the generation in which who lived? Jesus lived. He said, upon that generation, so Jesus says, I am in this generation and I will be the one who will pay the price from Adam to Zechariah. Wow. Even in his rebuke, you see grace flowing. Isn't that beautiful? Even in his rebuke, you find his grace flowing. He's saying, I will take that thing. And you think, oh, on me will all the thing. And they are saying, the Jews, upon me, on us, and upon our children's head, Shall this blood fall? Thank God. God did not receive that. Who, who wants your head and your blood? Pay for your own sins. You know, it's like telling the robber, telling, I'll talk about it, right? Add that two years also to me because I've killed 20. Pay for your own sins, man. Why do you take the sins of your children? Pay for your own sins. You're going to hell for your own sins. You see, a righteous man is, unrighteous man is prideful, thinking that he can pay his own price when he cannot. Only God knows it and he has given us a wisdom to understand. Okay, so here is Jesus showing. And, Je- and, and Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Thomas believed, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Okay, so do you believe this peace? Amen? Do you believe this peace? Okay. If you don't believe, what do you do? Go back to the Jordan. Go back to the Jordan. I love it. Go back to the Jordan. Okay? Go back and see the handprints on his hands. And those are your handprints. Those are yours, okay? Not Jesus. Oh, how did they sacrifice Jesus? That's not fair. That's a nice man. That's you, man. That's you. That's you. All your evil and all your sins. That's you out there. Thank God he died for you. Otherwise, you would have to be eternally be separated. And you would never pay pay the price. The Bible says you shall not escape until the last high will be accounted for. See, whenever he uses parables of people being thrown into prison, he says, they shall not come out until the very last might shall be paid. You can never pay. How can you pay? Have you ever thought about it? How can you pay, repay anybody when you are in prison? You cannot. So you never come out. Thank God Jesus paid that price because he could come out. When he came out on the cross, when he said it is finished, he was the only one whose who's, his, 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 uh, repayment was more than the principal. Write it down. Jesus' repayment was more than the principal. You owe God 
one million dollars. God paid, Jesus paid to God hundred billion dollars and more. He didn't have to. He overpaid that. So he made God rich because of your sin. Isn't that good? So now you have confidence to go to God and say, God, by the way, did you know what happened? Because of my sin, you have become rich. Yes, you can actually do that. Because of our sin, God has become rich. Because God paid, Jesus paid to God much more than what we owed God. And guess what? Now God's heart is very pleased. He is not only pleased with what Jesus did, now he delights in you. See, look at how, so he's, he's like, I love to bless you because the repayment to me is so much more than what you owed me through your debt. So now there's a just basis for you to walk into houses that you did not build. Amen? Because somebody paid for you more. Like, for example, if his mortgage was 250000 and somebody paid the bank $1 million, what do you think the bank will now do to George? Or, or if they don't give back, he, next time he wants to go to the bank for something, what they will do? They'll find ways to bless him. Correct? Because they, they suddenly became very rich because of his mortgage. So that's a, that's a divine wisdom of God. Our sin has now made God rich. Just the wisdom of God. Just the wisdom of God. Okay. So, now truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence. Okay, now after these things, Jesus showed again on the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias and this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then they also got, we are going out with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Okay. Where are they now? Are they outside or inside the house? Outside. They are outside the house. What happened? Are they afraid now? No. Hallelujah. Are they afraid now? No. They are not afraid. Correct? They are out right now. Hallelujah. Are you happy that they are out right now? Yes. Okay. So what should follow right now? Now the peace has been taken care. What should follow? Prosperity. Prosperity. Amen? Prosperity should follow. Yes or no? So here is Peter all night catches nothing. Why? Shouldn't prosperity follow? Yes. But right now now they are depending on whose effort to get prosperity. They are all. Because how did they are, how are they expecting to catch fish? Working all night. Say all night long. So a lot of your labor as a believer is all night long labor. Because you are expecting to be blessed just like the world is blessed. How does the world get blessed? World works all night long. Say all night long. All night long. Now that's where the difference is. What did Jesus say? The peace I give you is not like the peace that the world gives. The peace that the world gives is a peace that is exacted as a, at a price from whom? From you. Brother, nothing comes free. <laughs> you heard that? If it is too good to be true, it is? You see, that's the world. Because the world has no system to bless you without paying the price. Got it? Now the peace that Jesus brings is passes all 
thank God we got this revelation today in this life team about the peace that doesn't make sense. We always used to think that peace that doesn't make sense is like, even though I'm suffering, I'll have the peace. No! <laughs> no! The peace that doesn't make sense is that I don't deserve it and I'm yet getting blessed in my life. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm saying you start renewing your mind. Start renewing your mind. The world, you know, the, the multitudes followed Jesus because they saw that he was peaceful or they saw the sick were healed and the lame walk and the dead were raised. They saw prosperity. They saw shalom. When they saw shalom, they followed Jesus, isn't it? Why do you think you are like that super Jesus? I have internal peace, brother, internal peace. You have to believe me, I have internal peace. Can you lay hands on the sick and they will recover? No. Can you raise the dead? No. Can I pray for my prosperity? No. But I have peace. What's that use of that peace? That's not the real peace. That's not the peace that comes from Jesus. The shalom of Jesus is real. Do fish show up? Yes, fish shows up. Okay, so let's see. So they caught all night, nothing. And then what Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. When Jesus said to them, what? Children, do you have any food? And they answered, no. He said, cast to the right side. That means cast to the side of your righteousness. Cast it. Cast that thing on the righteous side. Don't depend on your work side. Cast it on the righteous side. When you ask God for things, don't ask because you deserve it. You got it? Because you have worked for it. You know, I've struggled so hard. 30 years, Lord, I've suffered. <laughs> you know, don't say that. When you say 30 years I've suffered, what are you saying? Correct. <laughs> Means what? You are depending on who paying the price? You. See how that's prideful? Correct? Don't. See, change your words. Change your press. Go to him on the right side. So now you will say, Lord Jesus, you have blessed me with this peace. I don't deserve this peace and I am your righteousness. Don't you think I should walk and be healthy and live the blessed life in Canaan where I own stuff? Don't you think, Lord? Let me just plead with you. Don't you think that? Jesus, yeah, sure, you should. Lord, then bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. I thank you for it. See how the difference is? The confidence, the basis on which you stand before this father? Because now you're standing with the basis that it's done. So, and he said, and you'll find some. And when they, and so they cast, and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of the fish. Okay, here's a quick, quick thing. Of all the miracles in the Bible of fish being coming, only one miracle talks about the number of fish that happened. Here, they caught 153 big fish. Why do you think they counted that fish? Okay, just a small nugget. After he had caught this, Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. What was he asking from them? He's asking the tithe. As a believer in the new covenant, you always bring the tithe. So when you bring the tithe, how do you find out what is the tithe? You count the fish. You count the fish. That is the reason the nets did not break. Because the Bible says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. See the picture of the tithe there? 
It's hidden there, but it's there, but it's not there. So he did not eat that, he did not give them that tithe to eat. He had fish on the shore and bread that he had. He gave them that to eat and he took that tithe for himself. Do you think they multiplied? There is never ever a mention of they going fishing after this. Why do you think? There is abundance in the house. Okay, so I want you to go to two chapters and then we'll close. Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. And you can mark it if you hide. If you have a pen, you can write it. Mark it, okay? Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. So what comes first? Peace or the glory of the Gentiles? Peace. 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 What is the glory of the Gentiles? Prosperity. Prosperity. The Gentiles' glory in? Riches. So once you have the abundance of peace, you receive prosperity. prosperity. Get ready for prosperity and great wealth in your life. Because now you've understood the peace that comes. Amen? Okay. Do you want to see this principle? Okay. Read this. Verse. Uh, read uh, Psalms 122. Let's go to Psalms 122. I want you to see this principle. Psalms 122. Psalms 122. Okay. Uh, verse 7. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. Say, say repeat after me. Peace within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. Before prosperity appears in your palaces, there should be peace in your walls. So, now repeat after me. I know I'm trying to get it in your spirit. Peace within your walls. Prosperity in your palaces. Don't run after prosperity without having the peace. Peace within your walls. Which is further out? Palaces or walls? Walls. Once the walls have peace, then there is prosperity in your palaces. Prosperity is automatic once there is peace in your walls. Okay? Okay. Some more. Let's read Psalms chapter 72. Psalms chapter 72. Psalms chapter 72. The whole chapter is beautiful, but I will just pick up a couple of verses. 72. Look at the first verse. Give the king your judgments and your righteousness to the king's son. <laughs> that is so cool. Just think about it. Just think about it. So this is the psalmist. He says, Give to Jesus all these judgments, okay? Give to Jesus all these judgments. And to give to the king's son, that me, give all your righteousness. Deal? It's a beautiful deal. Look at this. Look at what the psalmist is asking. He's saying, put all the judgments on Jesus and put all the righteousness on me. Is that beautiful? What we do, we say, put all Jesus is righteous and I will pay the price. 
judgments on Jesus, on the king, and the righteousness on the king's son. Who is the king's son? You. You are the king's son. He's the king. Jesus is the king. And you are the king's son. So you receive the righteousness. He receives the judgments. You got it? Okay. Now let's look at verse 7. In these days, you're talking about these days and when Jesus is our king. What happens? shall flourish until the moon is no more. Okay, let, let me read. In his days, in the days of Jesus, the righteous shall flourish and the, and the abundance of peace till the moon is no more. In other, way, in other words, what is he saying? How long will this abundance of peace be with you? Will never go. The moon will never leave, the Bible says. Will never it's for forever, forever the abundance of peace will be with you. Okay? So, so, so now that you have peace, what should follow later? Okay. So can we look in this chapter and see whether there is prosperity below? Let's read. Okay. Verse 10. The king of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. Are these Gentiles or Jews? Gentiles. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. What do the kings of Sheba bring? Gold, right? Oh yes, all the kings shall fall down before him and all the nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries. He's talking about us. The poor also when they have no helper. He will, spare, he will spare the poor and the needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in their sight. And he shall live. And the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Got it? Look at verse 16. There will be abundance of grain in the hills. On the top of the mountains, his fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever, and the men shall be blessed in him, and all the nations shall call him blessed. So what happens is, you will have grain, you will have gold, all because you have the abundance of peace before this. Why? Because on verse 1, you decided to say, give to the king your judgments, and to the king's son, your righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we'll close with that. Hallelujah. God is good. God's good. And the Bible says that He will separate us and keep us blameless till He we meet Him face to face. He will separate us blameless. Man, I'm telling you, Satan has no authority over you. There is no peace is the fear of accusation from the enemy. Now the enemy has no power over you. And Jesus says, when a strong man guards his goods, when a strong man guards his palaces, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than him comes and overcomes him, he takes from him the armor in which he trusted and he divides the spot. He's talking about himself. Jesus came and took Satan's armor what was his armor? His armor was the law of accusation against you. He took that accusation from you by forgiving your sins and paying the price. Now he cannot use that armor against you. So now you can divide his spoils. Are you dividing the spoils of Satan? Okay. Sorry. I have to sh show this. Now if Satan comes and accuses you, what does that make Satan? Are you sure? Are you sure? Prasad, if Satan comes and now tells you 
that you are done this, you did this, you did this, you did this, when you are not a sinner writer, right? The Bible says, he who is born of God does not sin. And the wicked one does not touch him. Because the wicked can only touch a sinner. We are not of him. We are not a sinner. We are born of God. The wicked one does not touch him. Correct? We know that the whole world is under the sway of the enemy. But we are not of God. Not of Satan. So we are not of him. So, so if he comes and tells you that you are a sinner. What does that make Satan? A liar. So is he bearing false witness? Yes. What is the punishment for a false witness in the book of Deuteronomy? Do you want to see that? Right? I want you to see that before we close. Because, man, how, how can I miss that? Why would Satan not want you to know that? I wonder. Okay. The, the, the penalty of the false witness. Okay, I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 15 to 21. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 15 to 21. 19 verses 15 to 21. One witness shall not rise up against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. Look at, read this carefully. I want you to read it in your Bible, okay? One witness shall not rise up against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. Okay? So you see, if you are going to bring an accusation against anybody about any sin or any iniquity, don't depend on one mouth. You need the mouth of two or three witnesses. Hallelujah? Are you sure, Prasad? Three people have to tell that you are a sinner. Just one person cannot just say it. If God has to bring judgments on you. Okay? Verse 16. This is what Satan doesn't want you to read. If a false witness rises up against a man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord. Do you have any problem in standing before God? No problem. But it forces Satan to stand before him. Okay? Keep reading. It gets better. Before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed if the witness is a false witness. Who has testified falsely against his brother. Then you shall do to him. As he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. And thereafter they shall, shall not again commit such evil among you. Verse 21. Your eye shall not pity. Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Do you know this verse applies is in context to what you can do to Satan. Not what you can do to a brother. God has put there as judgment against Satan. So if he tries to accuse you against your mind, he says he has to pay the price with his mind. If he accuses you with your health, he has to pray with his health. Eye for the eye, tooth for a tooth, skin for skin. You know, Satan knows this very well. When he appeared before Job, do you want to know this? He knows this verse. 
He memorized this verse. He is afraid of this curse. He does it because this is his main weapon against unbelievers. Because he will always say that, Oh, you are judging. Sister, you are judging that woman, okay? That she is not holy. What about you? And he will judge you before you were born again. Got it? He, that's why he says, don't cast pearls before swine. Before they will turn and trample it and turn against you. What are those pearls before swine? Pearls before swine, in context of that verse, is judgments that he use against another person. Satan uses that against you. Oh brother, how can he deserve to have this big house? Man, you can live in two bedroom house. Why do you have to need five bedroom house? Sure, no problem. He's heard it. He's not going to use it against you. He will turn and take those poles and trample against you. And you wonder why you never could live in a house more than two bedroom for the rest of your life. You got it? He understands eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, skin for a tooth. He lives in it. He breathes in it. But today, you can use against him. Because now when he accuses you, he is of false witness. The same law that he used to accuse you now works on your behalf. That is why the Bible says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Why did it not say the God of power will soon crush, crush Satan under your feet? Why did it not say God of great wisdom will soon crush Satan under your feet? Why does he say God of peace? Because the peace is where you paid your price. So God will bring him also to the same Jordan and make him pay the price. Now you understand how powerful peace is? Peace is what crushes Satan. Why? Because now when he accuses you of being a sinner, he's violating peace in your life. He's calling you a liar. And whatever he accuses you, he doesn't want you to know. You wonder now when, you, when he accuses you or anything, you should immediately say, hold it. Are you telling me that I am a sinner and I deserve this? You know you're a liar. Now you are in you. The Lord condemn you. The Lord rebuke you. That's what you should say. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Now your words have power. Away. That's why Jesus. The moment he said away with from from me, Satan. Satan had to leave because he was operating justly. Oh, Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't care. Jesus came as a man. Now he's in his domain. He's as a man. He's obligated to do the laws of the man. He's subject to being the of the man. But he operated with this wisdom. Now you cannot accuse me against the law. It is written. It is written. It is written. He uses God's law against him. Yes. He doesn't use his power. Don't you know I am the son of God? Boo! <laughs> doesn't do. He uses law. He's a lawyer. He's like, He's a lawyer. He doesn't come with his own weapons. He comes with the weapons of the law. He comes with Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 2 against you all the time. He's called the accuser of the brother. Man, we have studied so much stuff of a foundation of accusation. The foundation of accusation, if you know, and now that the price has been paid, you can now believe Satan can be crushed. Amen? Did I tell you that Satan knows these verses by heart? Do you know that? You go to the book of Job. Okay. We'll close with that. You should know this man. You'll never get a chance to visit it. Go, go to the book of Job and look at what he says to God about Job. 
uh, uh, book of Job, what Satan tells to God about Job. Job, it is page 443. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Finally, chapter 2. This is after the second, uh, uh, even though he, Satan attacked all his uh, positions and took everything, and uh, Job did not curse God, again he shows up. Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. You see that verse? A false witness has to come before God along with you and stand. If you're going to accuse, you have to stand before him. Okay? He cannot do that right now. When the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come from? Satan said, from go, going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Because this every angel is assigned a planet or universe. Guess whose planet was earth? Satan. It's his territory. He's the archangel over earth. So he's ensuring that God's laws are justly kept. Do you think he, is, he loves God to do that? No. Why is he so passionate about God's law on the earth? Because he wants to kill your son, man. You know, he's getting out the... He knows the father loves his children on the earth. He's using the law of the father against his children. And he knows that's how he can get to the father. He's evil. Can you imagine somebody, a stranger comes into Jerry, your house, and says, Jerry, you had these rules that your son has to pray before going to bed. He did not pray. Here is the belt hitter. You are a just man. You made the law. That's why you never make laws. <laughs> you be gracious. Correct? You got this thing? What I'm saying is laws. Right? God doesn't want to live by laws. He made the laws just to show man that he needs a savior. He didn't bring them out from Egypt by telling them, I am going to, you come into the desert and I will give you ten commandments. Did he say that? No. He brought them out saying that I am your father. I am like an eagle. I will gather you. I will keep you. Walk with me. Why didn't you come with me? He said, no, we'll come because of our own great works. I am, we are good and therefore we will keep all your laws. He said, okay, let's try. The moment you say, test me, question paper, 1 to 10 starts. Okay, so here uh, Satan says, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? He said, from walking back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. This is how he talks about us right now. There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man. One who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to the integrity. Though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said what? Skin. Skin. skin for skin? Where do you think he's getting this skin for skin? This is before even Deuteronomy was written. Where is he getting this? Because he knows God's law. Skin for skin. He lives by skin for skin. For, the, for a change today, when he accuses you of anything, he becomes a transgressor of that same law. He will have to pay the same price. Guess what, what he will do? Do you think he'll come to you now more often? When you know your peace? Do you know when you know your right right now? You think he'll just walk in and I'll tell you those stupid lies? 
and bear false witness when you know he, this guy knows his rights, man. This guy, this sister knows her rights. She's not going to accuse. Now you will have a confident expectation of good. Amen? The Bible says, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, present your request unto God. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. He will. He will. He will crush Satan because now you're not afraid of, you're not anxious. You're not anxious about anything. Let's pray. Father, we come before the throne of God. I just feel a strong anointing of a release of fears, strong fears in your life. There are some, there has been some fears that have persisted from year to year to year and you never seem to get release out of it. Like every night, at some way or the time, when you're enjoying even some things, that thought comes, yeah, but everything is fine, but I still don't have that. I still don't have this. I still think that God is angry with me about that sin. I still think that I don't deserve this. There's something that is, those, those are strongholds in your life. Those strongholds are born out of lack of understanding of the peace of God that has brought, being purchased by us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go ahead and take, lift your hands and just receive that release right now. And you'll say, Anil, but why do I have to lift my hands to receive the release from this fears? Because God is getting ready to pour out such prosperity into your palaces. But these fears are sitting in the way, not allowing you to receive freely from a loving God and a loving Savior. So, I want you to just raise your hands and say, Lord, every fear that I have that is evil in my life, every fear is evil in my life. And I receive release from those fears because now I have received an understanding that you are a good father and you bless me and you have paid the price and I don't have to lay my hand on my Isaac for the lamb has been caught in the ticket and has paid the price willingly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Master. And the Lord says to at least a lot of people right now, children, do you have any food in your house? Do you have food? How's your bank balance? How's your houses? Do you live in houses? And your response to him should be, no, Lord, we don't. And Lord tells you right now, throw your net on the right side and you will find. Get ready to receive such prosperity into your life that you will not understand why it's happening to you. Why such healing is manifesting in your bodies. Because the root of accusation and condemnation and sin and every sin, Lord, I take authority by what you have vested me right now. I forgive the sins that are retained in people's life right now in Jesus' name. I forgive their sins in Jesus' name. I forgive their sins in Jesus' name. Uri mashutuna kurusite nikele makuru lele karama shutuna kurusite nakara satana karama shutuna. I see bondage is breaking right now. Every sin, every retained sin, every retained sin being broken right now in Jesus' name. You say, you say, but that, that's, 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 that's a sin that I really did. I don't care whether you did or you did not do or you thought or imagined or perceived. If it's a sin that is retained, I rebuke it 
and remove it in Jesus' name. I forgive it in Jesus' name. Be free of those sin in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Receive an abundance of peace right now. As far as the east is from the west, and as long as moon is on the earth, this peace of abundance of peace you will receive. And you will see the grains flourish and the gold come from Sheba into your lives. And the king shall come into your life with gold. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Lord says three mortgages are going to get paid off this year in this group, in this house. Three mortgages. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the Lord says, now ask what you wish. Don't ask because, because you have to plead for it. Ask it because I have been made rich because of what my son Jesus did for me. His sacrifice is pleasing to me. And you are my beloved children. You live in the land of Abimelech where God is your father. The father is king. Then God is your father and your father is king. And he holds a cattle on a thousand hills. Father, I pray that their eyes of understanding and wisdom shall be opened to such opportunities that they will not participate with the world in the all night long song of labor. But they, they will be the ones who see Jesus on the shore where he has the fish and the bread prepared already. And because we see him with fish and bread, we have fish in our boat. As he is in heaven, so are we here on the earth. Hallelujah. Do you see Jesus with fish and bread on the shore? Yes. Walk in your house this night and see the abundance of fish. Receive it, says the Lord. And you will say, Lord, I don't know from where it is coming. But who cares? It is the Lord who gives. And it is his ways and his ways are past understanding. Receive, says the Lord. Receive right now. An abundance of peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, I pray for all our children, O oh Master. Oh, Father, we lay our hands upon them in Jesus' name right now. And Father, give them this abundance of peace. For your word says, this spirit that is upon you and upon your children, and the words that are upon you and upon your descendants and upon your descendants' descendants shall not depart from them forever. Father, we thank you, Lord, because the words of the spirit and your words of oath that promises this abundance of peace shall never depart from the mouth of our children forever. Father, we receive it a lot. And let it now manifest in signs and wonders in the prosperity and the glory of the Gentiles that will come to us and confirm this word this evening time. In Jesus' name. Amen.